All right, good morning, Christ Church. You're out there, right? Yeah, good morning. I heard Wes shouting already, so uh, yeah, glad you're here in East with us. Maybe you're joining us in West, joining us online. Uh, we're just glad uh, to be able to hang out with you this morning and talk about Jesus. Uh, I'm Pastor Bob, one of the pastors here at uh, Christ Church, and uh, we're continuing in our Lenten series, Dinner Stories uh, with Jesus. And uh, what we've been doing is looking at these different episodes in Jesus' ministry that ended up uh, around a meal as we've been on our Lenten journey, right? Kind of that special time of the year as we journey towards uh, Easter. And uh, so we're just focusing on these experiences. And uh, today is one of those uh, experiences. A little unique because we actually never get to the meal uh, today. It's kind of about the preparation uh, for the meal. It is that story with uh, Mary uh, and Martha uh, and Jesus. Uh, it comes out of uh, the Gospel of Luke, Luke 10. Remember, Gospels are firsthand accounts of Jesus' life, death, uh, and resurrection. And what's important to note that this takes place in the 10th chapter. Now, what that means is that uh, Jesus has been about ministry for a while. Uh, so, he is... Um, growing in fame and recognition, uh, but he's also growing in followers, right? More and more people are, are following him. Uh, and in chapter 10, uh, the chapter starts uh, by Jesus sending out the 72. How many people? Thank you, you were listening. 72, right? That's important to know as we get into the story and take account of that, right? So he sent out the 72, and, and he sent them out there saying, listen, this is your job now is to go out and bring the kingdom of God into the lives of people. And, and so they do that, and they come back with amazing stories of, of how the Holy Spirit worked and how God worked through them. Uh, and then he, he gives a prayer of thanks, and he's overwhelmed by how, you know, all this is unfolding. Uh, and then in the midst of that, a learned scholar of, of the law comes up to him and asks him a question. And the, and the question is, uh, tell me, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, and so Jesus engages with this guy, and he says, well, okay, the greatest commandment uh, is this. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and... A few of you know it. <laughs> and love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you in the back row. Appreciate it. That's why we have the back row. Uh, but yeah, so it's two things. Get that though, right? Don't forget this. This is really important to what we're going to discover. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. When you love God, it's going to drive you out to bring the kingdom of God into the lives of other people. And then the guy asks him a question and says, well, okay, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells this incredible story, uh, a parable, we call them parables, but this incredible story with a point, uh, and we call it the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Where Jesus tells about this lavish, radical generosity uh, that's shown into someone who in that culture would have been uh, unloved, you know, disdained, this Samaritan, and yet... That, that person receives incredible radical generosity and love and care, right? And so he drives home that point about how we are driven out to love and care for the world, to bring the kingdom of God into the lives of other people. Remember what it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and that will drive you out into bringing that radical love 
into the lives of other people. Then we get verse 38. You still with me? We get verse 38, and it's the beginning of our dinner story. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, so he's making his way uh, to Jerusalem. We all know what happens there, right? He's making his way to Jerusalem. Uh, they came to a certain village. Now, Luke doesn't name the village, but John does, uh, and we know that that village is Bethany. Uh, Bethany is about two, three miles uh, outside of Jerusalem, just, just kind of behind uh, the Mount of Olives. Uh, so when you go with me to Israel and you're standing on the Mount of Olives, uh, you'll know Bethany's just a stone throw uh, down the road, right? Of course, you're going to go with me, right? Is that a good plug? Did I do good? Yeah, I'm going to go. going to go. I'd love to have you with me. But in, in, you'll be near uh, that certain village of, of Bethany. And so he's making his way to Jerusalem. He, he gets to Bethany where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Oh my gosh! Can you believe that? I mean, seriously! Did you get what just happened? This is amazing! This is like not supposed to happen. This is not supposed to be done. We, everybody knows it in Jesus' day, in Jesus' culture. Everybody is aware this would be scandal. A woman invited the young rabbi into her house. Nobody's bothered by that, huh? Yeah, I mean, today we don't think much about it, right? We, okay, big deal. We can bump over it. But you've got to understand, this is a big, big, big deal. This is a big deal. This is contrary to all the cultural norms and expectations. This shouldn't happen. If anybody was inviting Jesus into the house, it should have been Lazarus, the man, the brother. He's the guy that should be doing the inviting. And Jesus, being a young rabbi on the rise, he should have known better than to accept the invitation of a woman into her house. Why does he do that? Get this, don't miss this. From the beginning of the experience, Jesus is breaking down any barriers cultural norms or expectations that would keep him from entering into Martha's life. Nothing is more important to Jesus than entering into Martha's life. And, and we know he does that. Not only that he goes into the home, but we know from the Gospel of John that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus become close friends of Jesus, because later on in John, Jesus shows up and raises Lazarus from the dead. And it's noted in there that they were good friends. Jesus is not letting the cultural norms or the barriers or the expectations or what somebody might say or what somebody cares about, he's not letting anything get in the way of the most important thing that he enter into the life of Martha. He goes, she welcomes him, he comes in, he sits, presumably his disciples are with him, gathering around, 
And Mary, Martha's sister, is also there. And the text says that Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. What? Are you shocked again? Really? A woman sitting at the feet of the rabbi and he's okay with that? Unheard of. Unthinkable. Everybody knows in Jesus' day and time the place for women is in the... You said that. I didn't say that. I want it noted. No going home and saying, Pastor Bob said, you said that. But that, that, that was the norm. That was the expectation. This is incredible. Jesus, as a young rabbi, should have known better. And yet, once again, what does he do? He doesn't care. He doesn't care what people are going to say. He, he doesn't care what the expectations are. He, he doesn't care what the cultural norms say. All he cares about is getting into Mary's life. The one most important thing for him, again and again and again, is that he enter into the life of Martha, that he enter into the life of Mary, and he will cut through anything he has to cut through because that is the most crucial thing. You with me? Now the fun begins. But Martha, Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She gets distracted. The Greek there, it says to draw away, physically, emotionally distracted or distressed. Anybody feeling it? I mean, after all, she has all these people in the house. Remember how many people did he send out in the beginning of the chapter? That would be 72. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of coleslaw. At least there were 12 and Jesus, so at least 13. And Martha can only begin to be consumed by the details of the experience. She, she is so consumed by everything that has to happen, by all of the consequences that she sees in front of her, by all of the expectations that seem to now be overwhelming her. She is so consumed by that, she misses the one most important thing. God is in her house. I mean, think this through. Jesus doesn't seem to be concerned about supper. Why? <laughs> well, I mean, he took care of feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and a few fish. I think he can handle dinner. Amen? I think he can handle all the distractions, all the difficulties, all the things that get overwhelming when we keep him at the center. 
Here's the principle. Problems arise when the responsibilities in life overwhelm us and distract us from the reason for life. Do you get that? We're always going to get into problems when we, we let our life become consumed by all the, the responsibilities and, and, and all the distractions and all the expectations and all the demands that this broken world will put upon us. And when we put that in a higher priority than we put Jesus, we are going to have problems because we've forgotten the reason for life is to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and be driven into the world to bring the kingdom of God to your neighbor. Martha, she is overwhelmed, and she gets things out of order. And look what happens to her. This is what happens to us. Look what happens next. Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair? Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, life all of a sudden is totally unfair. <laughs> it just is unfair. This is too much. It's too overwhelming. It shouldn't be. It's just absolutely unfair that I'm the only one that gets all this pressure in my life. Really? What is the surprise that the world is unfair? It's broken. But look at Martha. Jesus, not only is this totally unfair to my life, but you ought to care about this. Jesus, you ought to do something about this. After all, it's my sister. Where does she lay the blame? In all this overwhelming situation. It's her sister. If her sister would just get off her fanny and get busy. Can I say that in church? <laughs> if she would just get off her fanny and get busy, then my life would be so much better. And Jesus, you ought to care about this. In fact, Jesus, Tell her to come and help me. You need to solve the problem. Jesus, you need to solve this problem. Here's the deal. Principle. This is really good. Write it down if we didn't write it down for you. Are you ready? Problems arise when we think our problems ought to be Jesus' problems. Think about that. Problems arise when the problems we create by the decisions we make, when we put ourselves more important and all the details in our life more important, when we make decisions according to our own reason and understanding and our own priorities, when we create our own problems and then we say, this is overwhelming and unfair, and Jesus, you ought to care, and Jesus... If you love me, you ought to fix it. What's up with that? Let me give you an example. It's kind of a get in your face, so I'm warning you, but I'm your pastor. I get to do that. 
Okay? So, I think we can all agree that God cares about our daily bread, right? And we pray in the Lord's Prayer every time we're together. God cares. Of course He does. He provides. He cares about our daily bread. But what happens is we get out these things called credit cards, and we start buying a lot of bread. We start buying bread we don't need. And all of a sudden, we're kind of overwhelmed because we don't have enough bread to pay for all the bread. And then we say, what? God, if you really care, you're supposed to be providing for me. And now I know I didn't make any decision based on your wisdom and understanding and your teaching and your truth. I know I didn't manage everything that you've given me according to your principles and the way you would have me manage it. I mean, I know I didn't do anything that your word says, but you ought to care. And even though I haven't tithed and even though I haven't honored you, you need to fix this. What? See, this is what happens to us when, when we get things reversed. And all of a sudden, all the distractions, expectations, and the things that consume and take over our life become more important than the one who elevates life. It's a principle. When we elevate Jesus, He lifts our lives. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That comes first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and be driven out into the world and bring the kingdom of God to your neighbor. Jesus says to Martha, Oh, Martha, dear Martha. Now, he's speaking tenderly here. He, he's speaking out of a, a wrenching heart. He's saying, oh, dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all the details. It's, it's like he's, he's saying, Martha, I can handle dinner. It's okay. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Don't miss the word worth. There's only one thing worth it. Worth your life. There's a good question. What is of the most worth when it comes to your life? I mean, when, when rubber hits the road, when when you're faced with looking at the reality of your life, what really makes it worth it? A guy named David had an answer. It's in Psalm 23. We read that psalm a lot when rubber hits the road and there's a death. And David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what? I have all that I need. That's all that matters. That's the only thing of any eternal worth. My relationship with Christ orders everything else in my life. 
the only thing that matters, the only thing with eternal consequences is my relationship with Christ. Solomon, David's son, he, he got the same principle, got it from his dad, parents, take note, what is the most important thing you can bring into your kid's life? Solomon got it. Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. What's he saying? Listen, get focused on what's most important and don't let all the distractions and all the expectations and all the cultural norms, everything that else is trying to tell you what to do and how to do it, just put, don't pay attention. Keep your eyes focused, fixed straight ahead on the one thing. Make out a straight path for your feet. Understand, decide what's of most value, what's of most importance, and stay on that path because the world will try to distract you. It will try to take over your life like it did Martha. Stay focused. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Look what happened to Martha. She gets distracted by all the details and all the stuff. And now she makes it Jesus' problem and she finds fault in her sister. Totally contrary to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and your neighbor as yourself. Totally contrary. That's why Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, as he's doing his, his teaching about the priorities of life, understanding what's worthy and valuable in how we use our life, he says, listen, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? That's all worldly stuff. That, that can take over. That can consume you. Don't worry about that, right? These are the things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That's not the way believers think. That's unbeliever thought. Believers understand what's most important. Whom is most important? Your heavenly Father already knows. He's already given you the most important. And so he says what? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Live rightly according to God's word and purposes. Put those together. Greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself, driven, driven out to bring the kingdom of God into the lives of others. Seek first the kingdom of God above everything else, and when you put that first, everything else is going to get ordered. You'll be amazed how you can live rightly. The uh, last series I preached, I uh, kind of threw out a challenge that said, uh, hey, give God an hour a day. Some of you may remember that. Give God an hour a day. And, and I, I told you, if you give God an hour a day, it's going to change all the other details in your life. Some people have actually done it. And, and they come up to me uh, now and they say, I, I didn't get it when you said it. I thought I'd give it a try. And it's incredible. I, I get up a little early and I start my day with Jesus. I can't believe how I view the day differently and how the day unfolds totally differently. Why? Because 
Seek the one thing that's worth it. Be concerned about the one thing that is really worth it. That's Jesus. Jesus sits at Martha and Mary's house and he challenges Martha, saying, Martha, you got to understand this. When you get the one thing in order, then life will be elevated and it won't be so distracting. When you get the one thing in order and you start living with Jesus at the center, then life begins to make more sense and it won't be so distracting and you will be empowered. Martha, just listen. I can take care of dinner. I can handle whatever comes next in your life. Just get the one thing, what's really worth it. And he points to Mary. He says, Mary, she's discovered it. It? What is it? What is it? Sitting there, just soaking in Jesus. Not worried about all the details. Not worried about whether they'll get supper or not. Understanding. He'll take care of it. He's capable. He really does care about me. Remember where it started. Jesus would not let any barrier or hindrance get in the way of him being present with Martha and with Mary. And he desires the same for us. And when we come to the table today, he, he'll use simple stuff, bread, wine. When we do the baptism today, he'll use water, words, and say that, look, there's nothing, nothing going on in your life, nothing that I can't handle. There's nothing more important than loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And together, we're, we're going to be driven out into the world, and we're going to change the world and the lives of your neighbor. And that is the most valuable, worthy way you can spend your life. And it begins at the table when he says, yesterday is past. Today, I enter in, I take center stage. Today, your life begins anew with the most worthy and important person the world has ever seen at the center. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us, for looking beyond our, our brokenness and, and all, all the things that distract us and and, and try to take over our lives and push you out. And today, we, we just come humble 
and we ask as we as we receive your word today as we receive the gift of bread and wine today your grace come and take residence in our home take residence in our lives be the center be be everything that is worth anything in our lives Help us to really live out the loving the Lord our God with, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and, and let that drive us into the lives of our neighbors so that, so that they too would come to know and understand the difference you make in life, the eternal difference. Lord, when we try to do it on our own, we fall, we falter, we fail. Recreate us today. Lift us today. As we elevate you every day, take care of ordering our lives. Take care of all the stuff in our lives. Keep us focused on the most important things of your kingdom. Help us. Help us to resist the temptation to make it somebody else's fault. Or Lord forbid to make it your fault. Help us to live powerful, worthy, elevated lives that extend the kingdom of heaven and show Jesus brightly before others. We ask this in his incredible, precious, and powerful name. Amen.